episode 176 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 9th of May, 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Fanin. Hello. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. I'm sure you're all really, really excited. It's Eurovision week. Oh, is it? Yeah. I wondered why I was reading an article about Brotherhood of Man this morning. <laughs> well, yeah, I can't wait for Saturday, the grand final, but I'll also be watching the semis. But uh, anyway, let's not talk about Eurovision news. Let's talk about uh, Linux news. But actually, before we do that, the huge meta news is that Linux Downtime now has a regular co-host with me, and that co-host is Martin Winpress, friend of the show. Yay. So you may know him from Ubuntu Podcast, which is no longer going. So if you miss him from that, then uh, check it out, linuxdowntime.com. I can see your strategy here, Joe. Well, yeah, exactly. Just just get all the dregs from all the other podcasts. And all. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, all the golden nuggets, Graham, all the golden nuggets, just like you. Recycling is important now. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, check it out. The first one was about Fedora. It was Adam trying to convince us uh, that Fedora is great. So let's do some news then and start with what I thought was going to be great news, but turned out to be not so much. And it's about this Mars helicopter, Ingenuity. And there's two stories. The first one is that it has taken amazing photos of the Perseverance landing wreckage. That was the uh, craft that took it up to Mars in the first place. And these photos are just astonishing. If it was on Earth, you'd think, yeah, okay, well, it's just a picture. But it's it's fucking on Mars, man. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. But it looks like a crashed UFO to me. Well, strictly speaking, it is. (laughs) Yeah. It's been identified, so it's just an FO. Yeah. I reckon they're hiding something. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. What I love about one of these pictures is in the bottom left corner, you can just see the shadow of the helicopter itself. Yeah. And I think that puts the whole thing in perspective. It's uh, it's extraordinary. Yeah, you can see all the parachute and everything. It's it's brilliant. So that was supposed to be just a a nice gloating, ah, isn't Linux doing brilliantly on another planet? But then just today, I read a story from Ars Technica about how, unfortunately, due to the Martian winter and dust getting on the solar panels, it looks like it might be the end of the road for this little helicopter. There are a few things in this story I found really interesting. The first one is, where are the solar panels on this thing? Above the blades. Oh, okay. Well, that explains that. The second thing is that the CPU in it, or at least part of it, is an FPGA, which means the entire firmware is rewritable, which obviously, if you want to flash firmware to something, then that's a good idea. But the fact that it's an FPGA, I found extremely interesting. If they wanted to, they could rewrite everything, not just the software, but you know the hardware level, the, the gate logic down to that sort of level. And that's really cool that they can do that, but also incredibly scary. So what happened was that the batteries got lower and they think that the clock lost its sync. Um, and so after a day of charging up, it got to something like 40% and they were expecting it to call out to the lander rather than uh, broadcast you know, back to Earth with its tiny little batteries, broadcast back to the lander. And so they listened for this to happen and it didn't happen. And so extraordinarily, they commanded the lander to stop what it was doing, switch everything off and just sit and listen for an entire day for the helicopter to phone home. And they did that. And luckily it did. So they're back in touch with it. They know that the batteries are around 40% charged maximum. And they've commanded it to try and keep the battery a little bit warmer by and use a little bit less power. So switch the heaters on at a lower temperature just to try and keep it alive during the winter. And there's something it says in here about off-the-shelf components that they're using. 
So this is really you know, a, a testament to the strength of these components that they're using, but they probably won't survive the winter. The, if things will just get too cold, the batteries will not be able to survive. The heater won't be able to keep them warm enough. It won't get enough power. And so there's a very real chance that it won't come out of Mars winter alive. And so that's both very sad, but equally amazing to think that it got this far. Yeah, especially as it was only supposed to be like a side mission and not very important. The fact that they shut the whole mission down for a day for this extra little thing shows just how well it's done and how it's beaten all the expectations. It really is amazing. And I think that Linux has got to take all the credit for it and all the open source (laughs) software that it's running. Definitely not the amazing engineers at JPL or anything. Well, I have a link to the Oatmeal comic where... uh it currently says there are two times when a father is allowed to cry, the birth of their own child and the Terminator getting lowered into molten metal <laughs> with his thumbs up. Well, this will be the third one that they'll be allowed when it yeah. finally doesn't communicate back. It reminds me of Beagle 2 a little bit when the UK lander didn't so much land as plummet into <laughs> Mars. And uh, that was a sad day. I think there's a few people at NASA might take issue to the fact that you tried a high impact collision on Mars while they flew helicopter around for 13 months or whatever it was. Even Mars didn't want to hear Radiohead's new song. <laughs> that was Radiohead's new song. <laughs> All right, Lineage OS 19 has come out. This is based on Android 12, and there are three reasons to mention this. The first one is that we spoke about it quite a lot on Linux After Dark, which is coming out this Friday, so keep an eye out for that. The second is that, Phelim, your phone isn't going to be supported by this, so you're shit out of luck. eBPF, I think. Well, that's the third bit, is why. They've changed to eBPF as the firewall, and that needs Linux kernel support, and the ancient kernel on your 3T is not up to scratch. Yeah, it's a three kernel. I looked it up because I was like, oh, maybe I'm close to that. I am a me arse. Mm. The only good news about this is I don't have to worry about OS upgrades anymore because all (laughs) I'll be getting is security patches. So that's great. Yeah, for a bit, maybe a year-ish, I would have thought. In fairness, with my own DIY butchering of my phone, I'll be amazed if it lasts that long anyway. Yeah, and then you'll have to upgrade to a six like mine. Pine phone. Yeah, good luck with that. But like I said, check out Linux After Dark later this week, where we go into a lot of detail about our history with Lineage. And uh, actually, it gets into digital minimalism towards the end. So yeah, check that out. Now, something that isn't strictly open source, but I think relates to it, is something that Apple are doing with the iOS App Store. They are removing any applications that are old and or not downloaded very often. And it made me think, this basically couldn't really happen in open source. Occasionally stuff gets moved out of the repo when it's really, really ancient and not supported for whatever reason. But should we maybe do more of this sort of thing? Should we maybe trim the repos a little bit? You look at something like Debian with the thousands and thousands of old packages, you know you'd remove one thing and you'd get about five people really pissed off about it. But should we maybe think about doing more of this sort of thing? I'd say no. With the caveat that at least you mark something as being sort of unmaintained or not maintained in a long time, I think it's software that's been written, served a purpose, and could still serve a purpose for somebody. They may not be able to pipe up because they might not even know how to pipe up. Like it could be a recovery of a file image or God knows what, some sort of weird, obscure format from a fax. You know, who are we to tell who should and shouldn't be useful? And if that software was useful once, I don't see why it isn't now. I mean... I think we just have to mark it as 
out there in the attic or whatever you want to call it for software that's not supported. But I don't see why we should just throw it away. I think as long as it works, then then you're right. It, it should be there. Can you test all of that software? Well, probably uh, it would require some investment in people creating the machinery to do that and knowing how to drive the application and is it doing what it's supposed to do. But yeah, otherwise, I, I agree with you that there is going to be a lot of crafty old use cases for crafty old software. And if not Linux, then where? So I think that's the right the right call. Uh, a simple last updated in, for example, the Snap Store and the ability to filter on that should give you the control to, if you if you don't want to see that stuff, remove it. And if you do want to see that stuff, filter it and make sure you can you can view it. You pitched a really great tagline for Linux there. Linux, crafty old software. <laughs> I thought that was the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> but what about the idea that software can be finished? Mm. That just seems anathema these days. Like you, you can't have anything ever be totally finished, seemingly. Partly the, the sort of modern business ethos of grow or die is large and in effect in software. If you're not updating your software, then it must be kaput. And that is not necessarily true. Yeah, I think it depends. Like if you have to interact with standards or other types of software or network services and like, yeah, you've got to keep going. But I mean, if your thing is self-isolated, standalone, then it can be done, I guess. I think this is a real disadvantage for Apple's store and Apple kind of ruling its own policy and making old games in this example or some of the examples redundant and no longer available to people. Also, it's another example of how beholden you are to Apple's own policies. They're shifting security policies when they want you to build something with a new toolkit when you maybe don't have the resources to be able to do it. And this is the only way to actually get apps on iOS devices without cracking it or or sideloading something which you can't easily do. But I think there are advantages, I think is what we're saying, and this stuff will always be available on Linux, um, but we need something more like Archive Archive, that because th there could be security issues with running this old software and people need to be made aware of the risks at least. I have a slightly contrarian view there. I think it's kind of okay for Apple to get rid of stuff that hasn't been updated in the last 90 days, because I think it's easy to push a generic fixed bugs and improved performance update, you know, which is basically a no-op, just to keep your app alive. And uh, on my phone, I don't want all of the thousands of, or rather in the app store on my phone, I don't want thousands of copy apps, um, broken software, all that kind of thing. I'm quite happy for that to be taken away by somebody for me. On my main computing device, then I absolutely want access to that stuff. And if it's in the archive or the archive archive, so much the better. But I'm kind of okay with it not being on my phone. But that's perhaps because I hate freedom. I get the feeling Phelan disagrees heartily with that. Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't think the tools are free to build anything on a Mac, though, are they? So it's kind of like this forced buy the new hardware upgrade cycle that they're trying to get people on, maybe. Seems a bit tenuous to me. I, I think that you can, well, one, you can rent a, a Mac in the cloud for a couple of hours to push a fix up. So I think that's okay. And also, I think it works on really old Macs anyway, but I have no idea what I'm talking about there, so maybe not. All right, let's have a go at the UK Conservative government for a change. This time, the headline is Legacy IT to blame for UK's inflexible benefits system. So the Chancellor is now saying, oh, yeah, sorry, we can't give people on benefits any more money despite record inflation because uh, computer says can't, not even says no, but the computer system is so old and shit that 
It just can't do it. And uh, for once, I actually believe them. I believe that the IT systems are so shit that they can only do it once a year or whatever, put the benefits up. It's funny that we're all in this world of like updates all the time, like Graham with your Arch system and us with our Ubuntu systems that get major updates every couple of years for an LTS. But the reality is a lot of IT infrastructure is like 30 years old. And this is an example of that. If only one of their pals could like start a company that sells that hardware, then I'm pretty sure it'd be upgraded far sooner. (laughs) I think it's more likely that one of their pals probably has a company supporting the old hardware and software. Ah, well played. For those of us not in the UK, uh, have you had a government that has been there for a while or is this just are they just in the door and you know or have to blame the old guys about it or or what's the story there well it's complicated this actual government's only been in since just before covid technically but their party has been in for 12 years i think at this point so they've got no excuse and meanwhile they're spending millions and millions of quid a year keeping this old shit going like with the xp thing they, they paid Microsoft loads of money to keep XP going because it's more expensive to upgrade shit than it is to just keep paying to support the old shit. It's really difficult to try and have a pragmatic and balanced response to this. I'm trying to find one. I just think this is what you get. <laughs> this is the conservatives' kind of modus operandi. They have no technical ability or insight it seems to me although gov.uk is okay Mm, i don't know about that (laughs) well yeah exactly and and also this is so indicative of so many other things um in the uk i I can see where this is going and i don't want it to just be like a, a flood of negativity but we just have to hold these people accountable somehow and the best way of doing that is to vote for someone else oh but someone else had a a curry and a beer so he has to go (laughs) will You've got a promise not to say the word that got me fired, because I know you want to. They are, though, aren't they? A whole bunch of them. Yes, they really (laughs) are. And that's really just scratching the surface, because this week we uh, all woke up to headlines in the Murdoch papers of bonfire of EU laws in bid to boost economy, and they're going to slash the EU red tape now because of Brexit, and it's all going to be brilliant. And uh, it's not like that means getting rid of environmental protections and consumer protections and data protection or anything like that oh yes actually yes it does and they are a bunch of words that got me fired oh we've been holding you back though us evil europeans oh yeah definitely yeah yeah but we can link to a tweet from heather burns about this and um you can just go down the fucking rabbit hole of replies and quote tweets and threads and it's just so depressing about what they're going to do. They're just removing all of the GDPR type stuff and and all of the data protection. Yeah, the gist of the Heather Burns post is that in order to stop those annoying cookie pop-ups that you see all the time, that law will be done away with, along with all of the laws around not selling your data to people, not tracking people across the internet, not respecting your privacy, charging you money to access your personal data that are held by those companies. If there is a way to make a profit from exploiting your privacy, then you better bet that the UK government are all in on that. And this is a bad thing for the UK. It will spread as soon as there's seen to be a few quid in it. It will spread to the rest of the world. Well, the rest of the free world, let's say. Um, And we will be left with a 
exploited and marketable internet like never before. And so all of the good that has ever come of it will be gone and we'll just be left with all the crap that we've come to loathe over the last few years. I somewhat disagree with that. I think that for most people, the average person in this country, yes, everything you said is right. However, we are technical people who will find a way around this stuff with VPNs, mesh networks, whatever it is, fucking Tor, the dark net, whatever you want to call it. We will find a way to avoid all of this bullshit. You're right though, Joe. There has never been a better time to learn about pie hole about dns over https all of these things that are available to you now is the time to learn about them now is the time to get your parents your kids everybody on board before it's all outlawed yeah but i agree we have to do those things and maybe maybe there's a business opportunity maybe this is what the conservatives really want just to create a business opportunity out of selling private internet access mm, double bluff eh yeah but i Knowing how things have gone in the past and these kind of proposals, I mean, I'm not at all surprised. I'm not at all surprised that everything the Conservatives said that wouldn't happen, especially around Brexit and European Union regulation, is happening. You know, from roaming data charges to to this and all the other things in between. Mm. And part of me thinks, well, the UK deserves what it gets. Yeah, I've said that before. It's funny that you've got similar situations in the English-speaking countries where Murdoch has mm. a toehold in the, the the media, whereas continental Europe, not so much. They have a proper proportional representation-style voting system, much like you have over there in Ireland, Phelim, whereas we're stuck with this ancient first-past-the-post bollocks that allows these Tories to reign for 12 years with a, basically a dictatorship at this point with an 80-seat majority, while only having 40-odd percent of the vote. And even when we tried to change it slightly, there was a referendum, and the papers scared everyone, oh, no, you don't want complicated European bureaucracy or whatever. Foreign muck. Yeah, exactly. And it, it really does... I mean, so it's a gross oversimplification, but how else do you explain it? Are we just like all thick in the English-speaking world or what? Or is it a coincidence that Murdoch owns all the fucking papers here? Little of both, I suspect. And further to that, if this is where they're going with internet stuff, which is, relatively speaking, quite easy to change because it's all behind behind the scenes um, and really no one's going to make that much of a fuss because that annoying cookie pop-up thing's gone. Will they do the same with other standards that we have, food standards, for example? Well, yes, believe it or not, they already have done, and they will continue to do even more. This is, in my opinion, the thin end of the wedge, and we will continue to see these sorts of policies rolled out. And before you know it, we will just be some kind of um, people farm, like in the Matrix or something. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and more. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. 
So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to latenightlinux.com slash support for more details there. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux After Dark, and Linux Downtime. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do some discoveries then. Phelim, you've got PZ and Dashi. What's PZ? PZ is, for people who know Python and routinely try to use sed and awk to try and get data out of various outputs of commands and fail miserably, i.e. myself, it allows you to run Python on the command line to chop and cut up data the way you want it to because you've got the skills there already. When you're caught in that nasty place of, oh, it's only a few lines of bash, but if I start a Python script, it's going to be like five or ten to just get that data in. So this combines them all together and gives you a bunch of tools for like doing very basic stuff like regexes and chopping uh, strings about the place and stuff. Have any of your discoveries not been Python and command line based? Maybe. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> You're nothing if not reliable, Phelim. Uh, and what's this Dashy one then? So Dashy, ah, this I'm going to run this at home. I haven't run it yet, but I've I've been reading through everything. So I know that you love YAML oh, and yeah. you wanted a beautiful YAML configed inside your own home set up of a nice dashboard of various websites, say to your router, to things online that you bookmarks, etc. And it's a, it's a nice, simple way of building a GUI to all those links. And, you know, maybe for other family members who have to do the odd bit of maintenance and stuff, it gives them a nice button to click to get there. And all they have to do is have this dashboard front page for it all. That actually looks really interesting. It looks really nice. Yeah, I mean, it is JavaScript. So, you know, it'll <laughs> probably own your entire internal network due to somebody taking away a three-line JavaScript library. But, hey... Uh, it is at least wrapped in Docker in this, or uh, there's various ways that you can deploy it, even ones online in the cloud. So it's a really nice setup. Uh, it's a very good web page. All the docs are quite nice. And it's, yeah, it's very simple to do. Uh, and I was going to run it in my house as well, just for various bits and pieces like the switches and routers and things like that. So, yeah. Will, I can't help but feel yours is a little bit phoned in this time. <laughs> well, Maybe a little bit, but uh, I still think this is a useful tip. If you've got a modern laptop, mine's a, a ThinkPad X1 Carbon, then it charges over USB-C, uh, and you can hook up your power adapter that comes with it, which is like a normal USB-C connector on one end and a mains plug on the other, plug it in, and away you go. But you can also charge it, in theory, off of a great big external battery. So if, for example, you're on a plane uh, or, or in a hotel where there aren't power sockets at your seat, uh, wherever you're sitting, you should be able to, in theory, charge your laptop off of a great big USB-C battery or vice versa. You should be able to charge that battery from your laptop battery. However, by default, when you plug the battery into the laptop, the laptop thinks that its job is to charge your battery rather than the battery charge your laptop. And... You can change that in software. It's a configurable option. And uh, the link that I posted there to a, a Twitter post links then off to um, to a kernel.org um, how-to, or rather a kernel.org technical document. But the, the gist of it is 
that if you echo either source or sync into the power device uh, of the correct port, that will change its mode from either being a source of power or a sink of power. So if your battery is running, if your battery is full and your laptop battery is running low, uh, and you want to charge your laptop, then you change the port to be a sync, plug in the battery, and then you can charge your laptop. And I think that's a useful tip for people, actually, not phoned in at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, why I thought it was phoned in was I didn't realize there was a problem that needed to be solved. I, it just had never occurred to me that if you plug in a big, beefy power bank to a laptop, it would even consider not being charged by it. This seems like a bug more than uh, anything to me. It seems like a, a, a workaround. Uh, well, I mean, yes, yes, in theory, it should know, right? The battery should say, I am a power source, not a USB-C device. Hmm. But I guess that's what you get for buying cheap power devices. I, I have only ever bought cheap power devices. I have only ever bought one cheap power device. So I don't know if this is uh, prevalent amongst all of those devices. But I can understand that if you do buy a cheap one, the battery's okay, but the smarts are not then it is just you know a dumb device and it doesn't know how to talk the USB-C protocol to say what it is. So yeah, a, a useful hack for cheapskates like me. And so now you've got two bash scripts in your home directory. <laughs> no, I've got about eight. Well, that is much handier than I thought it was and I take back my accusation <laughs> that you found it in. Let's do a quick KDE corner then. K itinerary out of play, what does this mean? So the Play Store has changed their rules on what type of applications can be in there and uh because the fact that kd k itinerary stores uh health certificates uh means that it can't be in there anymore so if you're looking for k itinerary in play it's kind of stuck in an old version and you should use the f droid version instead oh well everyone who's got an android device should have f droid anyway for all the great software in there they should and also Plasma Mobile is getting much, much better with the 2204 app releases. And they've also got a new website, which uh, does a really good job of showing that. And a list of all the nice applications got. And they've actually got quite a decent list at this point. It's been a long time since I've checked out Plasma Mobile. So uh, maybe I should give it another go. Yeah, it'd be nice if I could try it, but I guess I can't. Well, I did work out a way that you could have had a phone, but uh, well, that's that's ancient history at this point. Uh. <laughs> um, also, with the fact that Plasma 5.25 is coming out, hopefully on the 26th of May, there's a whole lot of new gesture support on that as well. And we've got a link to a video where you can see the nice swipe stuff going on. This is touchpad stuff, is it? Well, yeah, touchpad, touchscreen. Uh, well, it's going to be phone too. And I think they're doing some really good work on it all. So hopefully it all ties together nicely. Hmm. Poplar's new embedded font support. Yeah, we talked about the signature stuff the last time. Well, also embedded fonts has come in. I get this with a couple of O'Reilly books that I have where it goes looking for a font that it can't get because it's uh, an embedded one. Um, they fixed that now in the Poplar library, which is used by a fair few PDF applications, Ocular being one. And it also has some of the new signature stuff that we talked about last episode. Uh, you can see good examples of those there as well. All right, and Linux App Summit, which I did briefly look at the live stream and there weren't that many people watching it live, but hopefully people caught up with it. Yeah, and I think there's a fair few videos as well. This is the, the famous one in the land of leather, wine and chocolate in uh, North Italy. Um, but the they were, it was quite good that they're finally getting back to meeting up. Um, you know, they got to field test itinerary on the way, fixed a whole lot of bugs that were there that they could actually see in real world. 
and finally got to meet people, including a large bunch of the gnome folk that turned up as well. And uh, we've got a link to a video uh, with the Q&A between Neil McGovern from Debian and Alish Paul from KDE. And uh, that's quite good. To, and I'm sure there'll be more of them up there as well. You said Neil McGovern from Debian. Well, yeah, he has had some involvement there, but I think Gnome is probably more the reason he was doing a Q&A with Alex. That would make an awful lot more sense. So uh, <laughs> said S slash Debian slash Gnome. There we go. <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, worth a watch by the sounds of things. I haven't seen that yet, so I will give that a watch, yeah. And new lab plot and Caden Live. Yeah, I thought I'd combine two of the updates of the two applications I have the least ability with would be A, mathematics and graphing, and uh, also video editing. So you should read those pages as a, an exercise with a reader, because I haven't a clue what's going on in there, but they, they sound like they're doing great stuff. Right, well, links to all that in the show notes as usual. We'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll be talking about all sorts of different things. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.